Welcome to the Military Birth Talk podcast, presented by the Military Birth Resource Network and Postpartum Coalition. I'm Annie Denzel, and among other things, I'm also a mom and a military spouse. We believe that birth stories are a powerful tool to prepare for birth and all that follows, especially when those stories all have one important thing in common, life in the military. Join me each week for a new story, and we hope you'll find community, resources, and specialized support from members of the military community who are navigating this sacred, challenging, and empowering time of life. In today's episode, we'll be hearing from Tiffany. Tiffany is an Army reservist in a dual military household and a mother of two. Tiffany shares her experience getting diagnosed with vaginismus, a painful condition that impacted how she and her husband tried to conceive, and a process that greatly impacted her discomfort with hospital-based providers due to her treatment during diagnosis. She then shares her first birth story, which was a hospital epidural birth, and her second birth story, which was a home water birth. She also talks about her struggle to receive continuity of care after her first birth, her experience with two different pelvic floor therapists, and how she navigated TRICARE for her home birth. Here's my conversation with Tiffany. Hi, Tiffany. Thank you so much for joining me on Military Birth Talk today. Hi, Annie. Thanks for having me. So today we're going to start the episode as usual by having you share your birth stories. Um, But before we get to that, could you take a few moments to share a little bit about yourself with our listeners? Yes. So my name is Tiffany and I'm in the Army Reserves and my husband is active duty in the Space Force. We have two kids. Amelia is two years old and Xander is nine months old. And um, for hobbies, I guess my main hobby would be lots of playdates with my kiddos so I get to see my other mom friends. I also volunteer at youth group at my church, and that's kind of like my one thing that I do like outside of work and being a mom that brings me a lot of joy. And then whenever my husband and I can manage to get a babysitter and sneak out, sometimes we like to go on adventures together. We're learning how to surf together right now since we live in LA, so that's been really fun. Awesome. That sounds great. All right. So as you walk us through your birth stories, um, I will mostly just be here to listen along with everyone else. And then we'll try to save some time at the end of um, your stories for any follow-up questions. Um, So you can feel free to dive in wherever along your journey you'd like to start. Okay. So my husband and I got married in 2020 in April, the day after he graduated from the Air Force Academy. And uh, because our faith was really important to us, we had decided to wait to have intercourse until we got married and discovered some issues on our wedding night. So the first time we tried to be intimate together, it was just so excruciatingly painful. And I had always had issues using tampons, even as a teenager and preteen. And I had mentioned it to a, a gynecologist before, and she said, not to worry about it whatsoever and that it wouldn't be an issue. So we get to our wedding night and I'm realizing there, I think there is a problem. I don't think this is normal level of pain because it was literally impossible to have intercourse. So 
we just keep trying, um, hearing other people talk about, well, we had pain on our wedding night too. So I thought maybe I was making up the issues in my head. So we just continued to try. And finally, after our first week started the process of trying to get a diagnosis and find out what was going wrong. So it was in the middle of the COVID, just gotten married, like actually at the beginning of COVID. So this is when people were like, stay in your homes, don't leave your homes, don't even go to the grocery store. Like, It was really confusing time to be also trying to find a medical diagnosis for something like that. And also because we had just graduated, we then PCS'd. So it was our first move together. And we spent about like a month in a rental in Colorado, awkwardly waiting for the time for us to move and then moved to Ohio. We had both just graduated in commission. I had done Army ROTC in college. So... I knew that within the next year and a half, I was going to need to go to Bullwick, which is like your initial officer training for your job. And I know in the Air Force, they call it tech school. So I didn't have my dates yet, but I knew that was kind of looming in my mind. And we had a wonderful first month of marriage moving in together. So we got married in April. And in July, my husband just randomly one day just said, I want to have a baby like right like right now, I don't want to wait. I'm ready to start a family with you. And I thought that was crazy because we had been talking about like waiting like four years to start a family. So I was like, okay, I mean, we can talk about it, but we still can have intercourse and still didn't have a diagnosis. I had mostly just spoken on the phone with providers, but because of the move, I hadn't been able to get in the office yet. At that point, I thought I had vaginismus based off what I had researched and heard from providers, but I didn't have a diagnosis yet which um, vaginismus is a muscular condition where the muscles are like really tight in your vaginal wall and it makes intercourse very painful, any sort of penetration very painful. So I was like, I have this condition. Like, I don't know when I'm going to go to Bullock. This man wants a baby right now. Like he wasn't (laughs) talking about like a year from now. So I just decided to at least consider it and pray about it because I did really want to be a mom. And I felt like the reasons I wanted to wait to start a family was just like for a career. But I didn't even have a career in mind. I just knew I wanted to be a career woman, but I didn't even know what I wanted to do. So all of that was in my mind. And then I thought, well, if we're going to have a baby, like then I need to go to Bullock. And at the time you couldn't go to any sort of like military training like that while you're pregnant, even though it's mostly classroom stuff. So I was like thinking, well, I'll have a baby. And then I would have to leave the baby for three months. So I think we should just wait to even think about having a baby. And I prayed about it and was like, Lord, if you want us to have a baby, then you're going to have to figure out Bullock. And I got a call like within the next week asking if I wanted to go to Bullock in two weeks, which is completely like unheard of. So I said, yes, I'll totally go. Like basically hopped on a plane in July, like a couple months after we got married and left for my three month training thought about it every day. Am I ready to start a family or not? And prayed about it and just felt so strongly that it was time to start a family. And I just became so excited. And I knew that would mean I'd probably be at home for a couple years with the kiddos. His assignment was only 18 months while he was going to grad school. I had this awkward time with Bullock and then I would be having a baby. I wouldn't have enough time to work and get maternity leave. So I was like, yes, let's just do it. But I still didn't have a diagnosis for why can't we have intercourse? And I was like, well, you have to have intercourse to have a baby. (laughs) And um, at the time, like I could go to doctor's appointments while I was at Bullock. And actually, they required a pelvic exam 
as part of their like medical onboarding when you got there. So I went to the doctor while I was at Bullock and they literally required every single female student going to have a pelvic exam, which I think is completely wild to me that like, this is not our main provider. They're literally just doing this to get like a green light on their admin stuff. And we have no choice about it. So I went in and was getting this pelvic exam and I let them know like, this is going to be impossible for me. This is going to be extremely painful. So I don't want the pelvic exam. And they said, well, you have to have it, but we can start with your cotton swab for STDs. They had to do that. So I couldn't even handle the cotton swab. I was like screaming in pain. And finally they were like, okay, you can just do the cotton swab on your own. We won't do the pelvic exam. And they had really wanted to do a pap smear as well. And after the failed pelvic exam, I was like, no, we're not going to do that. And I was very thankful that I said that because it would have been impossible. So then after thinking about it some more, like, this is really a big issue. I want to start a family when I get home and I want to be able to have intercourse with my husband. I want a diagnosis for this. So I went back to the treatment facility and basically just demanded, I want to be referred to a gynecologist in the area. I don't want to wait three months to get a diagnosis for my issue. They finally gave me a referral. They hadn't wanted to give me one before. I had asked for one before and they had said no. So they finally gave me a referral to a doctor in South Carolina. I went in a couple weeks later while I was at Bullock and he used a pediatric scope on me for the pelvic exam, but it was still excruciating. And instead of just like stopping the exam, he continued the exam, even though I was crying and screaming. And it literally felt like what I imagine if you like to be sexually assaulted um, because I was screaming and he just kept going and going and didn't stop. And um, then just like, was like, okay, we're all done now. You can meet me in the office whenever you're ready. So I went and like sat down in this man's office who had just been so violent with me. And he was like, yep, you have vaginismus and just like wrote on a piece of paper and was like, go on with your day. So that was so traumatic for me and was the beginning of kind of like a mistrust in doctors that I developed and a fear of exams. Um, so that was very difficult, but I was grateful to have a diagnosis and it turned out to be an accurate diagnosis. So I get home, we've decided we want to start a family, we're back together, and I've done some research and realized, you know, according to some women who have had this, like, giving birth can actually open things up and cure the condition. And I don't want to have a baby to cure this condition, because it can be cured through physical therapy without having a baby. But let's not just wait, let's start trying. So we bought a turkey baster from Walmart, and just like two different times, I wasn't tracking my fertility just literally two random nights, used the turkey baster, and I was pregnant that first month. It was crazy. It felt like a total miracle. My mind was blown. I was not expecting that positive pregnancy test whatsoever. But we were just so over the moon excited to be expecting a sweet little baby. So my husband was going to Air Force Institute of Technology in Dayton, Ohio. There was a military treatment facility, but I decided to go on select. Um, and because we had just moved, it was a qualifying life event. So I got to choose to be on select and found a hospital that had natural birthing suites where um, you could be under midwife care. You could give birth in like a queen size bed or even in the tub, they would actually allow you to give birth in the tub. And 
I was really excited about my birth plan. I started reading everything I could, watching YouTube videos, just devouring information and trying to prepare myself for birth. Felt like I was as ready as I could be, put food in the freezer, did everything I felt like I was supposed to do. The one thing that bothered me leading up to the birth about my care was that I would wait like 45 minutes in the waiting room to be seen for 15 minutes. And anytime I would ask lots of questions, the midwives would just be frustrated that I was taking up so much of their time. And they had said that they wanted me to see a different midwife for each appointment so I could be comfortable with them all before the birth. But there were so many of them that by the time my birth came, I couldn't remember any of their names. Like I doubt they remembered me. So I feel like that kind of backfired in a way because instead of being comfortable with at least one of them, I was comfortable with none of them. So we get close to my due date and for some reason I had thought I was going to go early. I just thought I was going to be the exception to the rule and I started doing like everything to try and naturally start labor. Even had my friend who was a doula, she was like lived three hours away and I had her come down. I was like, I know I'm like, I'm just going to get this baby out so you can go ahead and come. And it started to get close to my due date and I still didn't have the baby. And then on my due date checkup, I was zero centimeters dilated and I was just crushed. And my friend had already been there for a week and I just knew like, it doesn't seem like the baby's coming soon. And at the same time, the hospital, which had only been allowing two people to be with you, suddenly just opened up their rules to allow an extra person. And I realized that if I wanted to, I could have my mother and my mother-in-law be at the birth. And that's just something that I had really originally wanted, but knew I wouldn't be able to have because of the COVID rules. And so my friend very graciously offered to go back and not even be part of the birth to allow my mother and mother-in-law to come in and be there with me. So that actually, even though I was crushed to go late, the timing worked out perfectly. And my Mom came and my mother-in-law was five hours away and she knew to come whenever labor started. So we get to like 40 weeks and three days and I am having so many Braxton Hicks. I've had a lot of Braxton Hicks throughout my entire third trimester and they're just totally ramping up. I'm having contractions at this point, like every 30 minutes, but I didn't feel like it was labor because... The contractions were so mild and sometimes they'd be like five minutes or 30 minutes and I just didn't really think it was labor and I could still sleep through the night as well and do everything normally. So that happened for like almost like three days, I would say. And so I let my mother-in-law know to go ahead and come down. I had an appointment and asked for my membranes to be swept, but the doctor said that he thought I was already in early labor and I should just go home and avoid the membrane sweep. So I was so encouraged to hear that. And my mother, my mother-in-law and I went for a two-mile walk. And then we started watching some of the Olympics. And at 11 p.m., I had a contraction that just like floored me. I could not believe it was so intense because everything I had heard was that for a first-time mom, the contractions should gradually increase in intensity. And within 20 minutes, I had four more. And they were all so intense that I could not move. I was paralyzed. So we get to the hospital within an hour. My husband had asked me, he's like, wait, aren't we supposed to like track your contractions for an hour before going? Are you sure you're in labor? And I was like, 
I am sure I'm in labor. This baby is coming now and I want to go to the hospital and get an epidural. And he's like, wait, what about the natural birthing suites and like your whole birth plan? And I was like, I can't handle 15 hours of this because in my mind, I thought first time moms, labor is always 15 hours. This is going to be for 15 hours. So we finally get to the hospital and they check me. I'm only three centimeters dilated, but they said my cervix was as thin as a piece of paper. They admitted me and I got the epidural without even going into those natural birthing suites I was so excited about. And I didn't even want to try anything. I was like, I know I can't do this. Like, I just know, I guess I was just so wrapped up in fear. And I seriously thought that that was going to be like 20 hours of contractions that intense. I've since learned that if it starts off that intense, it's probably going to be a little bit shorter. But I got the epidural and the contractions like immediately slowed down, but they were still coming regularly. And I remember that with each contraction, even though the epidural helped relieve the pain, I shook uncontrollably. It felt like I was having a seizure with each one. And before I got the epidural, I had an IV because I just wanted something to help with the pain. And that actually caused some significant memory issues for me. Um, There's about a five-hour memory gap that I have with my labor. So I only remember like three hours of the time from when I got to the hospital to when my baby was born. And the rest of it's just blacked out. And I'm pretty sure it's because of how loopy that IV medication made me. So I don't remember anything from getting the epidural to when my water broke. And I remember I was holding my mom's hand and suddenly felt my waters gushing and I felt like ready to push. The nurse came in and checked me and I wasn't quite ready to push yet, but I was getting really close. And I started puking before it was time for me to push, I should say. And that was really scary for me. I felt like I couldn't breathe, but I did remember reading that puking was a sign that transition is coming. So I was glad that I had read that and that I didn't just think I was dying. I was glad that I knew that piece of information. So pushing took about an hour and a half and I pushed on my back and I remember feeling like I needed a break and also feeling extremely hungry, but I wasn't allowed to eat. And the nurses were rushing me because change of shift was coming up. We were coming up on 7 a.m. and they wanted me to birth the baby before they went home. So I ended up finally pushing the baby out and um, was so relieved, so grateful to have my daughter but I had a big tear and they had just changed shifts. So the new midwife needed to repair my tear. And at this point, my epidural had completely worn off. Like I felt all of the pain of pushing and it was excruciatingly painful giving birth to Amelia. I felt the ring of fire and everything, was even able to squat. So I just knew that the epidural had worn off, but the midwife just must not have known that or didn't believe me. And started repairing my tear without using any sort of medication whatsoever. And that was just as painful as giving birth. I was screaming. I was crying. I told her it was very painful, but she just kept going and did not use any medication to numb me. So that was very traumatic and just um, horrible experience. Then nursing, it's time to nurse. I felt a lot of pain. It was excruciatingly painful. I remember crying every time it came time to feed my daughter. And then we went home and I had massive hemorrhoids that had never been a problem in my life before because of the position they had me pushing in. A huge tear, 
that had not been repaired completely correctly, probably partially because I was writhing in pain and went home, called TRICARE and let them know I had been planning on switching to TRICARE Prime um, just for some financial reasons because I could still continue to see my same pelvic floor physical therapist without having to pay co-pays if I switched to Prime. So I called TRICARE and let them know I wanted to switch, but they told me that there's no like grace period for switching. So I couldn't continue to see my same midwife practice for my six-week checkup. I would need to go to the MTF for my six-week checkup if I switched. So I switched just for financial reasons, but I do regret that because that created a lot of issues for me. Um, I was having a lot of pain each time I peed, and I thought I had a UTI. I had never had one before, but I just thought, I probably have a UTI. And at the time, it was like a four-day weekend, so the only place for me to be seen was the emergency room. So I went into the emergency room, and um, the doctors pretty much had no idea what to do with me. I waited for hours, and they just kind of like fumbled around down there and caused some additional trauma. Oh, no. It was awful. And they sent me home with antibiotics. And I found out later, much later in retrospect, that it was actually some granulated tissue that was causing that discharge and pain and that I needed a small procedure to be done in order to cauterize my tear. But I went in twice, two different times, once to urgent care and once to the emergency room and just got sent home with antibiotics. And that was partially because of TRICARE saying I couldn't go see my previous doctor. They would cover this, but they wouldn't cover an appointment with my previous doctor. Finally, my six-week checkup came and the doctor discovered this granulated tissue and told me that she should cauterize it. But at this point, I had completely lost faith in doctors to the point that I wasn't willing to go through with the procedure and just got it treated with physical therapy instead. I wish I had gotten the procedure done, but I was afraid. I was afraid of doctors and afraid of the hospital. So I had said no. And all of the pain with nursing, the pain with my scar tissue, the pain with the hemorrhoids, just all kind of accumulated in this like storm because my husband, um, because he was in such a stressful grad school program, barely had time to help me. My mom and mother-in-law couldn't stay long. And I remember just trying to get back into things as quickly as I could. And each time I would like nurse the baby while doing the dishes, somebody would compliment me like, you're super mom. And if I went out somewhere before I was like fully healed, I just remember people being like, wow, you're so brave and you're going out there and doing it. And I just thought, okay, I'm going to do it all, do all the chores, take care of the baby. And by the time I got to three months postpartum, I felt depleted. I felt depressed. I felt anxious. I was in so much pain every day and I had no help, no support. And we were coming up on a PCS, literally a month till PCS. So we were moving the week of Christmas. I had this new baby and then my cycle came. And even though I was having all these problems, I just remember sitting on the toilet, starting my period. And I guess it was just hormones, but they hit me like a lightning bolt. And I just thought, I want another baby right now. Like I want another baby so bad. (laughs) And I don't know. I don't know where that's classic. It was so classic, classic hormones. So my hubby and I decided that we would just let nature take its course with pregnancy. We wouldn't try for a baby, but we wouldn't prevent it either. 
And at that point, I hadn't been back to having intercourse yet because it was so painful. And I'm extremely thankful for my pelvic floor physical therapist in Ohio who helped me heal, helped me work back up to being able to have intercourse and taught me as I was telling her about all my previous experience with doctors that there is a thing called informed consent. I can say no to things that I don't want. I do have a choice. And she just made me feel so respected. And she could even just tell like days where I wasn't feeling well, just emotionally, she would be like, let's just not do any internal work today. Let me give you a back massage instead and help you relieve some stress. And she was just amazing. So we move, we PCS to LA and I started seeing another pelvic floor physical therapist because my first experience was so great. And I told her, I feel comfortable with where I'm at vaginally. I feel like I can take care of this part myself. I feel like I know exactly what to do and I just need help healing my um, abdominal separation and getting ready to take my military fitness test that I have to take at 12 months postpartum. I need help working back up without hurting myself. And I told her all of this and then she just was like, okay, it's time for your um, pelvic floor exam now. So go ahead and take your pants off. And I just obeyed. Like, I was just so shocked and I was just like, okay. And inside I thought I just wanted to cry. I did not want to take my pants off and have her examine me. I did not want yet another person being invited to such a vulnerable space that had experienced so much trauma. And this just continued the next several appointments. She just wanted to do internal work and hook up sensors to my bottom and help me regain strength through doing Kegels with sensors on my bottom. And I just didn't feel comfortable to tell her no. And she was the only pelvic floor PT in the area that was covered by TRICARE. So I felt like, oh, it's financially, she makes the most sense. And finally, talking to my husband, I just decided, you know what? This isn't worth it. It doesn't matter if it's free. It's harmful. So I quit seeing her and I was very grateful for that. And I just want to encourage anyone listening that if you're with your provider who is doing harm to you just for financial reasons, like just move on, find someone else, pay more money, or just find another option, whatever it takes. So we got pregnant with baby number two, and we were so excited. Despite all of the crazy stuff that was going on in our lives, we got pregnant seven months postpartum, completely new, no friends yet, having nausea, chasing my older baby. And I just continued nursing her because um, she's still a baby. She's still my baby. Um, I hadn't been initially intending to tandem feed, but I felt that um, I would just keep doing it day by day. And once she's done or once I'm done, we'll finish. But that time never came. She always wanted to continue nursing. And even despite all the pain that I felt, I never felt like a day came where the like tenderness, um, the nipple sensitivity wasn't worth it. And I just continued to breastfeed her throughout my pregnancy. I was really afraid of what it was going to be like having two babies. And how I was going to be able to keep up with them. But I will say that having two little kiddos under two is easier than having a toddler and being pregnant. Because that was just wild. So because of all the trauma I had experienced with medical care in the past, I decided to pursue a home birth. And found a midwife who would see me and help me give birth at home. And then the main issue was TRICARE because I was on TRICARE Prime. I had to get a referral, but 
it was like a huge, huge battle to get a referral to see her, even though she was an approved non-network provider because she wasn't in network. And I remember just being bounced back and forth between TRICARE and the provider, calling one one week, calling one the next week. And they would each say, call your provider. No, call TRICARE. So I was just like literally swinging back and forth like a yo-yo until I finally just thought, I'm going to speak to a manager at TRICARE. So I was speaking to somebody and they're like, well, we don't have the permission to approve your referral request in the system. And I was like, okay, somebody does. In the system, somebody can give permission. So let me speak to that person. Let me speak to your boss. And literally took a five-minute phone call with the manager to get permission for my referrals. So I just want to encourage people, if you're having trouble with something with TRICARE, just take it higher because there is somebody who can help you. You just have to get the right person on the phone. And um, was so excited to find out that my home birth was going to be covered by TRICARE, especially because reading on the website, it says that 100% of it will be covered, only to find out that it's 100% covered up to an allowable amount, which is not posted anywhere for you to see. And it's completely ambiguous. And you like never know how much coverage you're actually going to get. And TRICARE, even though they said they would only 100 they would 100% cover it, only ended up covering like maybe 50% of my fees for the home birth. So that is something I absolutely would love to fight and have them change because I saved them like $20,000 giving birth at home. And like, it was so much cheaper than being in the hospital. Why would it, why are they making me pay like thousands of dollars? That would just blew my mind. Anyways, it was pretty uneventful pregnancy, pretty healthy other than having to chase Amelia around. That was so tough. Finally get time to give birth to Xander. He was due December 27th. And because Amelia, my first, was a week overdue, I thought for sure I'd be at least like a couple days overdue or close to my due date. And was completely in shock when labor began at a little over 38 weeks um, pregnancy. So I totally didn't think it was labor at first, not only because it was so early, but also because it started so differently than my first. It was like the contractions just felt different. And I don't know how to describe it, describe it, but it didn't feel the same. And the first several contractions didn't like floor me like they had with my first baby, but, um, my husband and I were just watching TV. It was like nine o'clock PM. And I just remember suddenly, like it was not relaxing anymore to be watching TV. And that's when I knew maybe something is going on because I felt like the contractions were less painful when the TV was paused instead of finding them to be a distraction. So my husband totally is like, are you in labor? Are you having contractions? And I'm like, I don't know, but let's do the dishes just in case. Like I just, the most important thing to me was to have like a clean house before I had the baby. So we're doing the dishes together and they are getting intense enough that I'm like grabbing onto his arm and just stopping what I'm doing with each one. And he's just looking at me like I'm crazy as he's like hurriedly trying to wash the rest of the dishes, basically alone. I'm basically just like putzing around at this point. And because the baby came earlier than I expected, I didn't have everything ready yet. So instead of rushing to get the 
birth space ready. We rushed to get the dishes done and then went upstairs and I'm having these full blown contractions and we are trying to get the birth space ready and just like putting on, trying to put on the sheets and like get the hose for the tub and where are all the towels that the midwives said to have on hand. And then I'm like, at the same time, still thinking I'm not really in labor. It's just so early. And I had had a couple times before where I thought maybe I was in labor and it turned out to be a false alarm. So I get in the um, shower because the previous time this had happened, that had made the contractions go away. So I get in the shower. I'm like, if it's not labor, it's going to go away. And it just continued to pile up. And I was just in the shower alone while Jake was getting the rest of the room ready. And he comes in and he's like, it's time to call somebody. And I was like, no, it's it's like 11 o'clock at night. Like, I feel so bad. I don't want to wake anybody up. He's like, no, like, we're going to at least call the doula. We had a um, family friend who was going to be the doula who we knew from church. So he convinced me to call her. And um, by the time she came over, I was so grateful because in my mind, I can't explain it. I still had doubt that I was in labor. I still wouldn't verbalize I'm in labor. But I totally was like, it was just very intense. So she came, they got me out of the shower onto the bed and my husband started timing my contractions. We had not been doing that at all. He's like, I think I should time your contractions. He was the one like who had a brain. So he started timing them and they were like three minutes apart and lasting in full minute in length. And so he was like, we should call the midwife. And I'm like, I don't know if it's time to call her yet. And I'm like almost in transition at this point, but I don't know. There was just some like disconnect for me. I was just afraid to get my hopes up, I think. So the midwife finally comes and there's two of them. They work in a team. So there's two midwives who arrived and they were absolutely incredible to work with. And at this point I was in full-blown transition and my doula was massaging my ankles. My husband was rubbing my back. And I was still like, am I going to have a baby today? And everybody was like, yes, like probably like very soon you'll have a baby. And they filled up the birth tub for me. Um, I had originally thought that birds in tubs were like something only like really crunchy, weird people did. And then the more I thought about it after I already decided I was going to have a home birth, um, I tested GPS positive. And I know that there's some research that shows that you're less likely to pass the bacteria onto your baby if you give birth in water. And I had also still not completely recovered from my previous tear. Like um, most of the pain had gone away, but there was still like some significant scar tissue left. So I knew that it would help with also with tearing if I gave birth in the water. So they build up the birth tub and by the time it was full, I felt like I was almost ready to push. So I got in the tub, felt like I needed to push, but not a baby. And I could, I told them that I needed to go number two. And I know they totally thought I was going to push the baby out, but I could actually sense that it was not the baby. It was, my body was making room for the baby by going number two. And I was kind of embarrassed at first, but they just like fished it out of the water and said it was no big deal. And then I was ready to push Xander out. And it was just so intense. 
And I remember one thing that was different about this birth was just my mindset. And even though the it was a very intense and very fast labor, instead of just giving into fear like I did the first time, like there were some contractions where I thought, I can't do this. And then the minute that contraction was over, I would just be like, you can do this. And I just like basically crammed like positive self-talk into my head. It was like, you can do this. Your body's made to do this. Take some deep breaths. Get ready. You can do the next contraction. Just do one contraction at a time and would give myself a little pep talk. And I also had... I have the tiger playing on repeat on full blast, which I know is like probably annoying everyone else in the room. But I was like, you're in the eye of the tiger and you are strong. And it was like, it was crazy. I love that so much. That sounds very inspirational. <laughs> yeah, it was inspirational to me. My husband later told me that it was extremely annoying for him. <laughs> well, <laughs> I think he can deal with it. <laughs> yeah, he could deal with it. So Um, I started pushing and just, I hate pushing. Like with both of my labors, that was by far the most painful part for me. And I just wanted to quit. And I told my midwife, like, I'm done. I'm not going to do this. And she's like, well, you have to do it. And I was like, fine, I'll push this baby out, but he better come out within 20 minutes. And literally 20 minutes later, I pushed him out like on the dot 20 minutes later. And I remember with like each time I gave birth, each of the midwives at both my births said to reach and grab my baby. And each time I was like, "Uh uh-uh, no way. Like you're going to have to pass me that baby because I just didn't feel like I could grab the baby. So she passed him under underneath me and handed him to me. And this time I had waited to find out the gender. And so at first I thought, it's a boy. And then I thought, wait, is that just the umbilical cord? Because the umbilical cord was kind of like in between his legs. And so I moved it and I was like, it is a boy. And we were so excited. It was so special. And actually then found out, even though he was two weeks early, he was 10 pounds, which just blew my mind. He was ready. I'm so grateful he was not full term because he would have ended up being like 11 pound baby. But even though he was 10 pounds and Amelia was eight pounds, her birth was more painful, even though I had the epidural and she was smaller. And I think that just speaks volumes to me about the type of care that I received with my second baby and how different the birth was that even though he'd be bigger, just the position I was in, being in the water, feeling safe, being with a provider who I felt comfortable with just created this much better experience. And I felt safer at home than I like did giving birth in the hospital. So Um, I was very grateful for that. And then the several hours after the birth were just extremely painful for me because my uterus contracted so quickly. So it was like contractions on top of each other. It literally felt like I was in full-blown labor for a couple more hours. And I also had to get stitched up from another pretty significant tear. But I remember um, it just felt so different because I trusted my provider. And because she numbed me (laughs) and it was at that moment as she was stitching me up that I knew I wasn't creating in my mind a problem with the first birth. I was like, they really didn't numb me. They really did nothing to help me with the pain of those stitches because this is significantly less painful. I just felt very grateful for her, grateful for my doula who held my hands um, that entire time and was there for me and for my husband and even noticed just that morning after I had given birth, 
the difference that I felt. I felt more lucid. I felt less in pain. I just felt so much better than I had when Amelia was born. And she woke up later that morning. We got to introduce her to her new little brother. It was so special. And I just kept right on nursing both of them. And I basically had no issues nursing this time. And I think it's because I had already continuously been nursing. Like I had nursed her the day before and I just nursed them both and felt like things just went really smoothly. And I, yeah, it just ended up going really well. I had never planned a tandem feed, but it's just worked really well for me. I'm still nursing both of them. She's two now. He's nine months and it's just going really well for us. And I will say that I got my cycle back at three months postpartum. And then even though my husband and I were being really careful, I missed my period. And after like 40 days of not having a period, I got a false positive pregnancy test. It was just like, it was just an indentation line, but it was enough to make me think, oh my gosh, I cannot do this. Like I, two back-to-back pregnancies was fun (laughs) in its own way. Like (laughs) it was, you know, I don't regret it, but I cannot do a third in a row. Like I need a break. And I was very grateful that it turned out I wasn't pregnant. I had just, for some reason, like I had what felt like a full-blown period, but I haven't had another one since then. So it must have just been a fluke or not been a true cycle, but if it ever happens to you, you have like a cycle and then you miss your period, just know like that's, I thought that I was like the only person this had ever happened to. I had never heard of this, but apparently it's not too uncommon. So my birth experience with my second baby has just encouraged me to want to become a doula myself. So I'm going to take the training as soon as the dates don't conflict with my battle assembly dates for being a reservist. <laughs> and um, maybe my my third baby, I'll be like a doula and I'll be like ready to share another birth story and I can come back on and share all of that. Yes, we would love that. Thank you, Tiffany, so much. That was so wonderful to hear all of the things that you talked about. Um, I want to circle back to a few things. Um, what was one of the things that you learned about the way that the military treats or manages pregnancy and birth for its service members over the course of your experience? For me, the main thing when you're talking about the military and birth is like TRICARE. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like they just treat you like totally like a statistic I honestly didn't feel like they did a good job and it was such a battle, such a fight to get anything that I needed with them. It was just really hard. And I felt really, really upset that they didn't fully cover my birth, even though they say they a hundred percent cover. I felt like that was very dishonest. And, um, I really feel like they also let me down after giving birth to my first baby and making me choose between continuity of care and being able to switch to a new plan Mm -hmm. um, that really frustrated me. And then also I think another thing that the military could do to help moms is that I have a lot of friends who have PCS while they're far along into their pregnancies and had trouble finding a care provider and just had to kind of take whatever like terrible care provider is willing to take somebody. And so I think the military could also do a better job, like finding ways to 
be able to help women have inroads to providers who are good when they're PCS far along. Yeah. Yep. I also know many people in that position and um, it would be great if there was a better transition plan for expecting parents PCSing because it's such a common yes. experience. Um, speaking of PCSing and being away from family, most military families have had the experience of navigating birth and postpartum without a lot of family or close friends nearby to help. So what are some things that you learned between your first and second births to help you move through this time um, without having as much support as you might have liked? Um, you have to get rest. After you give birth to a baby, it's not optional. If you have to piece it together, if you have to hire a doula, if you have to pay for your mom's flight and like force her to come, like whatever it takes. Um, with my second baby, I made sure that I spent at least one week not going down the stairs at all. Um, when my older daughter needed me, she could come and hang out in bed with me and I could read her some books, but I did not change her diapers. I did not do any chores. In fact, I didn't do any chores for the whole first month after my son was born. I only went down the stairs one time the second week. And I was very grateful that my husband was, even though we gave birth before the cutoff um, for the 12 weeks of parental leave, um, his supervisor was just amazing and said that he could have it anyways. So he spent a full eight weeks and was able to give me a lot of support. And um, my midwife said, how you treat yourself the first 40 days after baby is born will color that entire first year. And I felt that negative impact after my first birth and the positive impact after my second birth. It was just so much better. Like right now I have so much energy. My mental health is way better. Physically, I healed so much faster because I gave myself that time to rest. So I would say if you're in the middle of a PCS and you don't have that support, like find it, make some friends, whatever it takes, hire the help. If you need to put meals in the freezer, if your spouse is a workaholic and doesn't want to take their however many weeks they get, then force them to and take them to your appointments and tell your provider to tell them what you need, like whatever it takes, make sure you have that. How did your experience with pregnancy, birth, and postpartum change your relationship with or your feelings about the military, if at all? Um, I'd say that since I'm in the military as well, it definitely influenced me to want to get out. I've had all good experiences with my direct supervisors, but in general, I just feel like it's really tough to be in the military and be a mom. And for me, like it's just caused such a strain on my family that as soon as my three years left and my contract is up, I definitely want to get out. And I wish that I could get out right now, but I have some resentment because there's technically a rule where you can get out of the military due to pregnancy, but only if your initial contract is finished. So because mine isn't, I'm like trapped and I feel like they should give moms the support they need to get out if they need to. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. And as a spouse too, it's just, there's so much pressures on military families. It's crazy. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, sort of a two-part question here. What, what's one takeaway that you'd like to leave our listeners with today? And then also, I know that you had some resources that you wanted to share that were helpful for you along your journey. So I'd love it if you could share those with our listeners as well. 
two takeaways, I guess one is um, make sure you have a provider you're comfortable with for whether it's physical therapy or it's your OB. And if you're not comfortable with them and you're stuck with them, then try and have a doula or like somebody come to your appointments with you who can give you some support and so that you're not feeling like ganged up on. And then make sure you have adequate rest postpartum. Like I cannot emphasize it enough. Somebody told me that after my first baby and I just completely blew them off and I suffered for it. So please like get adequate rest. And then the resources that helped me the most are Natural Childbirth of Bradley Way. It's a book by Susan McKitchen. And it's like one of the best out there if you want specific tips on how to prep your body for childbirth. And it gives a really, really good tidbit on how you can lay in this specific way to relax through contractions. That is really helpful. And then, um, of course, Anime's Guide to Childbirth is like the, I mean, everyone recommends that, but there's a reason for it. So you can never hear it enough. And then I really love the Birth Hour podcast and Evidence-Based Birth it has a podcast and website. And then the last resource is Bridget Taylor's YouTube channel. She's a doula and she just shares a lot of good resources on there as well. Great. Okay. I'll put all of those um, resources up on the podcast page. So for any listeners who are driving and couldn't jot all that down, you can find that um, in the notes wherever you're listening to this podcast. Thank you so much, Tiffany. It was really great to hear from you and um, really appreciate all of your time sharing today. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Annie. Thanks for listening to the Military Birth Talk podcast. Join us again next week for another birth story, and we'd love it if you could leave us a review and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. To follow along on social media, you can find us on Instagram at at Military Birth Talk. To learn more about the Military Birth Resource Network and Postpartum Coalition, please visit mbrnpc.org or find us on Facebook. See you next week.